0: Hey everyone. Welcome back to Linga Brutalica with me, Jess Crook, and my co-host, Wes Robertson. Hello. In this episode, we're joined by Dan of 4Token. Uh, thanks for chatting with us today, Dan.
1: Hey, great to be here. So just to start out as you normally do, uh, how would you describe 4Token's music? Uh, what genre of mu- uh, metal would you say that they fall under and why?
2: Um, so I guess in a general sense, I would describe us as extreme metal. It's kind of a cop-out answer because we incorporate a lot of different styles uh so we play uh aspects of death metal aspects of technical death metal black metal um, melodic death metal and it saves me oxygen just to say extreme <laughs> metal mm-hmm. I guess you could say um and generally people who hear that say yeah I got it you do the screaming thing <laughs>
0: it's a nice catch-all term
1: yeah 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 uh it's like what we Encyclopedia Metallum specifically puts you as symphonic melodic death metal uh how do you feel about that <laughs> term
2: uh it, I, it's Accurate, I guess. Uh, if it just dis- all those words describe what we do, I wouldn't object to any of them. So that's fine. Uh, but it is a lot of words. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes I just shorten it to extreme, you know, mm-hmm. metal, but I'm also okay with that. It
1: does cut out the, the kind of black metal influence you're mentioning though.
2: Mm-hmm. It, it it does, yeah. I guess um now that you put it that way, symphonic kind of leaves a uh more clean singy uh night wish or um you know that style of of operatic um type of metal and that doesn't really lend itself to exactly to what we do but at the same point you know if we're talking symphonics as in just instruments and orchestrations then Mm -hmm. you know we do have that so so that does still technically apply to us
0: Mm. So when did you get into uh, metal music and like what drew you to the genre? Like were you drawn to this kind of plethora of different styles initially or was there a particular kind of path you like kind of wove through on your way to, you know, developing the kind of music that you now play?
2: Um, It it was actually kind of meandering in terms of the path that Mm. that I took because um, candidly, I did not start out listening to Slayer and the more hardcore stuff. Um, I actually started with the first uh, introduction to metal that I had was from the Mortal Kombat, the movie mm-hmm. soundtrack. And I thought at the time that there was a song where it was Goro, the four-headed, or sorry, four-armed um, you know boss creature thing yelling, but in fact, that was napalm death. And so I thought, oh, it's <laughs> a thing with, and it only took like a few years for me to figure that out until I realized, oh, that's actually a style of music. And so that kind of, Was put on the shelf for me until a number of years later, until I started to dig into it. Because when you're like nine or 10 years old, it's a bit abrasive to listen to. And that's not generally what you're like, that's what I want to listen to. So um, it did take me a while to get into it, but it really didn't start to gel with me until I went to college and um, people were asking, oh, what style, uh, style of music do you listen to? And I said, oh, I listen to this stuff. And they said, well, you're listening to the wrong things. You need to listen to this you need to listen to some Appa Gates and, and Flames and Nile and Origin, and at that point, it was just like a a, a geyser of you know awesome music, and that's when I just kind of got sucked into metal as a scene in general. So um, that's kind of how I got into things.
1: Did you pay any attention to the lyrics early on when uh, when you were listening to that kind of music, or like what kind of solidified your understanding of the styles and the types of language that appear within metal?
2: Initially, I, I didn't really pay attention to it, but then when um, it came time to, because I was friends with a bunch of individuals who were in bands and they were um, needing a singer because there wasn't a singer present. I said, hey, I, can, I think I can do that. I've heard it. I think I can mimic these sounds. Yeah. Uh, and that's when I started to realize I don't know what to do. And so it made me think, well, maybe if I just take a look at what's being said, that'll give me an idea of what to do during these different practice sessions or when you know we're all hanging out and jamming. Uh, so that's when I started to pay more
1: attention to uh, what the vocals were. So you just went kind of side unseen saying, I think I can do this and <laughs> put it out? Uh, yeah, uh, it, it was more just
2: kind of like, you know, we're all hanging out and, and playing music. Well, I, at least everyone was except for me and just a few other people. But I wanted to be included because it seemed like fun. And so that's how it started for me.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So based on that, did you kind of like develop then after that, like a kind of idea of like what defines kind of metal music and and lyrics in particular, like what makes them kind of recognizably metal and not say, you know, indie rock?
2: Uh, Yeah, and and not to be kind of like uh, oversimplifying metal lyrics, but it always seems like there's a um, aggression outward more so than inward in a mm. lot of different other styles it seems like it's kind of reflective and thinking like oh i screwed up i did something wrong or i wish i did something better and um and i think it's okay to swear uh on the on podcast yeah with metal it's like instead of it's like oh woe is me it's like oh no fuck you i'm this is your fucking fault and that's more kind of like i guess empowering to 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 be less restrained with that aggression i guess you could say so it's a bit
1: therapeutic so hmm. in that sense, do you think that like if you were to put metal lyrics and non-metal lyrics next to each other you could differentiate the two
2: um i think you used to be able to um oh, okay. as as the genre is is kind of evolving and there's more different styles of music um the, the lyrics that are, are that are being included are, are a lot more uh, nuanced and and a lot more open um so i, I think that at one time you could because like there was your traditional gore lyrics or there was your viking stuff or there was your power metal stuff um but now it's a little bit more broad in terms of what is considered metal it seems like actually anything can be metal at this point it's just how how the 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 vocals are vocalized right how what is that that uh that you know bites and that that uh way that you pronounce the different syllables
0: hmm Well, I suppose this is a topic that we've kind of been um, unpacking a little bit over the last couple of interviews that we've just done. Um, Do you think, though, that, like, if you say anything goes, like, um, you know, can then, let's say, like, sincere romantic stories be integrated into, like, recognizably metal songs and lyrics?
1: Without being taken
2: as a joke.
0: Yeah, yeah, Uh... sincere, yeah.
2: Well, they they could be. Uh, I I don't see any reason why they couldn't. It would just have to be because, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of people don't even pay attention to what is being said. So (laughs) if let's say you were saying, you know, um, like Pride and Prejudice or something like that, and that Mm. was saying like death metal growls and and such, um, I don't think that people would really know. And those that did know would think maybe it's, you know, for artistic reasons and it's it serves its place. So I think you would get, you know, a, a pass on both fronts.
1: Hmm. I guess then, then why do you think no one's doing it? Um, That's that's a a heavy question question to put put on your shoulders.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Why? uh, So,
1: well. Like, we've um, had people say, you know, that, yeah, romance is possible. Yeah, cute stories are possible. Like, why is, uh, if it's possible, why is it not out there? Um,
0: At least not out there in a sincere way. We've certainly talked a lot about, like, you know, bands that, like, will use that kind of, like, you know, source material and stuff for, like, humor, but... I don't know if I've seen it presented a lot in like a way that's genuine and sincere.
2: Maybe that's the that's that's like a sign of things to come um, mm. <laughs> in terms of the next genre. Because like you could love somebody so much that you know you would kill for them. There's an album right there, I'm sure. And wow. maybe somebody's written it, and I just haven't heard it. Or maybe somebody has is in the middle of writing it. So who knows?
0: Right. Yeah, well, yeah. I suppose that brings up the like the next like logical question then is like, you know, if you were to write something that's clearly like, you know, very like deeply romantic, does it have to be balanced out then like with something like something that's more brutal, like, you know, let's say murder.
2: Not necessarily, but I think it helps. Um, you know, you <laughs> it's, that, it's got that little like garnish, I guess you could say, mm. in terms of the aggression that makes it, um, you know, stereotypically metal. I think that that mm. helps. Um, But it doesn't necessarily need it. It's kind of an optional thing.
1: So Beyond that kind of garnish of aggression, though, what do you think broadly is involved in making metal lyrics that are good? That are good? Um, Well, I think that that's a bit subjective, but I guess you're
2: asking me, so you're asking a very specific opinion. Um, I really like when it fits to a song. Um, This just could be in terms of, well, no, actually... Let me rewind it a bit. I like when it's not overly verbose and wordy because if you try to say too many syllables within uh, a line or a meter, it gets it sounds too much. And it's it's like, for me, I kind of fixate on that doesn't sound right. And then I'm hearing the melody in the song and I go, ooh, that doesn't fit right either. Um, so it's gotta have that nice balance of it's gotta fit rhythmically within the song. Um, but when it comes to the uh, the, the lyrics themselves um, or the, the vocals themselves, uh, I like when there's a, a degree of of flow to it. And for me, the the use of vocals, it's almost like I, I hear people say like, oh, it's like a percussive instrument or it's like a guitar. I think it's actually kind of like a bass guitar. And I, I, I say that very specifically because a bass guitar can be um, kind of like a, a low rumbly sound or a mid or a, even a high timbre. As well, So it really depends on how you want to use your bass guitar voice in that aspect, because it could be more rhythmic or it could be um, having a texture to the music. It really depends on how you want to construct things and and the vocal or sorry, the lyrics are just the notes to that instrument. Hmm,
0: Interesting. Well, then, like other than just, I suppose, like lyrics not fitting that music, is there anything that can make lyrics bad for you?
2: Um, Not, not especially. Um, I I don't really, I think that lyrics use and lyric writing is uh, kind of a personal thing. So I don't really think it's fair to say you can or can't do that. Um, Initially, I, I did have an opinion where I thought I don't like those lyrics because of they, they, they don't really make sense to me. And then I kind of had a little bit more time to chew on that thought. And I realized, wait, that individual speaks five languages. Who am I to judge as somebody who speaks just one English and probably poorly? I, I can't criticize that person for writing something you know, that is not as uh, intelligible as I would like it to be.
1: Hmm. So you've never like listened to a song and then checked the lyrics out and been like, oh, I don't like that song as much as I used to. Um. I, well, not not really. Um,
2: but I would say um, there have been instances where I've checked out the lyrics, and maybe they were a bit, um, let's say, uh, in um, pointing a finger that they probably shouldn't be pointing a finger at and stuff. And so when you get into like NSBDM stuff, you know, yeah, that's, yeah. When that when you see that, you're like, oh, okay, uh, stay away from that but, but anything else that's not just outwardly hateful, uh, mm-hmm. with an ad- actual target in mind, I think that that is fair for me that it's, it's all good.
1: So, I mean, a lot of research has talked about, you know, metal as, as, is it real? Is it fantasy? You know, is, uh, is it promoting violence? Is it not, uh, you, given that you kind of have, uh, a mythical full or kind of f- style to the lyrics you do as a whole, how do you kind of fit in this? Like, do you find the lyrics you write to be something personal that you feel has like a personal meaning and a message you're trying to convey? Or do you feel that the lyrics are more kind of entertainment, um, something that is, you know, disconnected from you as an individual? Um, it, w- With the first album, I was a little
2: bit more, um, I guess you could say, invested with the different stories that I was choosing. Um, so uh, I'm probably, I don't know if I'm getting into a, a question you're gonna ask later, but the the band name and the album title are supposed to go hand in hand. So for token means it's a sign of things to come. And that goes hand-in-hand hand with the album title. Um, so in the first album, it was Ruin. In the uh, sophomore album, it's going to be Triumphs. So it's like, it's foretoken. token, it's, you know, sign of Ruin to come, sign of Triumphs to come. Mm-hmm. And um, you can think about the, the title as kind of like a thesis for a just overall arcing statement. And the songs kind of provide like exhibit A, exhibit B for the reason why, this is a really bad thing, as in this will provide ruin in your life or this will be a triumph, but is it really a triumph in your life? And so um, based on the overall, I guess you could say album, you know, thesis, so to speak, it it really depends on how invested I am on on that point. And so with Ruin, I was thinking about, you know, what what stories are about characters who have, um, you know, either been all in And they did something for the better or the worst of their life. And I wrote the album to be more about things that, or stories that uh, characters um, had uh, effectively made a lot of bad decisions. And so for me, it was it kind of like, it was because they were thoughts that I had in terms of I had tried to empathize and put myself in the character's shoes. It was a little bit personal, I guess you could say. Uh, And then with the second album, it was more just talking about the collateral damage of a... Uh, of a victory, of a, you know, an ironic way to say, you know, triumph, you know, I did it. Mm-hmm. I'm still alive, but at what cost? So, um fortunate for me, I, I don't think that I've really had so much awful stuff happen to me where that really can be um a take that that I take personally. um so in in a way, I don't know if I'm somewhat getting to uh, mm-hmm. an answer to your question. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, in essence, um, it's it's personal as in it's my thoughts as in i'm trying to think of an argument for why you know this fits into the overall theme um so it is my thought and so it is connected to me because it i you know it is something that i thought of um but uh it's not so much like a there's no like massive amount of emotion that are are tied to these individual stories
0: so it's more like an indirect kind of connection to your personal like sense of self in that sense unless that's kind of what you mean so in the sense that like this songs yeah. doesn't necessarily directly represent your personal experience but rather like your kind of thought patterns
2: exactly it, it's kind of just using it as an example um, mm-hmm. and, and it's just an example of something that you know I'm, I'm just trying to prove a point and i'm using that as you know as kind of a a, a fill-in
1: for that what kind of motivated the switch though from um, an album about things you maybe had experienced to an album about things that you said you haven't really experienced?
2: Honestly, it, it's because I didn't want to do the same thing over again. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like this is something that, so for token started off as kind of like a, a arts artistic kind of uh, experimental project. And so with that, uh, it, it, the, the style of lyrics that that I wrote and the style of songs that we write uh shifted a little bit. And so um with that change and then going into the second album, um I just didn't want to do the same thing over again because I was kind of the 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 time uh spent like um just uh you know thinking about all of the stories and and putting together all the lyrics. That's it's like almost a year and a half worth of thought. And so at that point, I was like, I'm done with this style. I mm. need to mix it up a little bit. So I want something that is going to be creatively interesting for me to go uh, into and, and to get excited about.
0: Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you've definitely covered a couple of questions um, that we had prepared, oh, but we will come sorry. back to those and talk about <laughs> them in more. No, it's great because obviously we're on the same page, mm. um, but we did want to get into a more kind of in-depth discussion of your lyrics. So let's just, you know, dive right in. Right. Um, So we did want to talk about the kind of more common lyrical themes that we've, you know, just been kind of um, talking around, like, you know, your use of um, stories from um, myth, legend, um, folklore. Um, And, you know, we will get into a kind of discussion of your selection of specific myths, um, um, you know, legends and folklore stories uh, in a moment. But before we get into that, we just wanted to ask you what drew you to begin with to just explore that subject matter. Like you mentioned, you know, um talking about like you know what uh leads to ruin what leads to triumph um why were like myths uh, and legends kind of the vehicle for exploring that as a concept
2: uh sure so so this is actually kind of a a uh, path that i put myself on um a few well back in like 20 uh 2004 ish Uh, i so uh wes you mentioned uh you know you were on I was on Psychically uh, Mattel, I'm looking at the band and Jess, you probably looked at it too. Um, so you probably saw that I've been in some other bands. And so the other band that I was in uh, sang about uh, Lovecraft, um, I joined the band and that was kind of the thing. And so it kind of put me in a little bit of a box in terms of this is your design space. And mm-hmm. so um, I, I started when i was writing lyrics for that band i was writing um narrative songs so that kind of put me into the frame of mind where this is where this is how i do things or this is the way that i'm comfortable doing things with writing lyrics so that kind of steered me down the path a little bit and then ultimately um i kind of got bored with that uh in terms of uh i just wanted to do something else and so what i found myself doing was kind of um borrowing from the idea of the Lovecraft mythos instead of the uh, Lovecraft direct story so like there's the August Delareth stuff who was a um, you know a writing contemporary of of um, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and so what he did was he actually kind of took the idea of some of the, the creatures and the deities and such and he kind of took it in another direction and so I thought you know what I want to do the same thing so um, I want to um, use some of the characters in that and then create my own stories. And then I'm going to use those stories to prove my own point. And so when um, the my guitarist in that band, who's also the guitarist in Four Token, said, hey, do you want to do another project? Um, what do you want to do lyric-wise? So that idea was in my head where it was that design space was there for me. And it was very freeing because it's kind of been a long road to where I wanted to go with that because it allows me to do anything i want to do because it's drawing from like a global tradition versus just one guy's you know uh you know his one universe that he he mm. developed so it's a lot more open ended
0: Well, it's interesting that, like, you know, you've talked about, like, myths um, and folk as being kind of like this, you know, expansive resource for lyrics, but it's obviously one also that we know that um, has quite often served as a source for inspiration for a lot of metal lyrics out there, given that there's even, you know, a whole subgenre of folk metal devoted specifically to exploring kind of folk stories and associated kind of musical styles in a metal context. Is there something inherently metal about myths and folk stories, do you think?
2: Um... I, I think they're cool. I, I mean, not to, <laughs> not to a good be answer. so simplistic. I, I just think they're cool. Um, uh, one of the the neat things about mythology and any of that stuff is that I think that you could take a rock and chuck it at you know a crowd of metalheads and be like, hey, who knows what that is? And they're like, that's Thor. You know, not like the Marvel Thor, but like they'll know mm. like the actual history behind Thor, and they'll probably know more than you. Um, so that's one of the cool things about mythology is that it's this kind of Uh, subtext where you can kind of connect with people and everyone just finds it interesting. So it's appealing at that level, but then from a more lyrical standpoint in terms of how it relates to metal uh, depending on where you look in the world in terms of mythology and and folklore and stuff, it gets pretty violent. And Mm. that's kind of like what is the sticking point and why I think that like these stories have found their way into modern culture because they're just so awesome and they are so brutal. Um, Like if you go back to, Um, so I, I like history. I'm terrible with the years, so apologies. But, um, like if you look at how around when they were, when Christianity was, Christianity was going through a boom and what dropped, brought people into churches, it was the stories of hell. So like Mm -hmm. those were graphic and violent and people were showing up be like, Hey, I want to hear about that. That's awesome. I don't want to go there, but I want to hear about it. Um, so that's kind of where I think mythology fits into that where it's Mm -hmm. it was just such an attractive such an appealing idea and these stories are just kind of they 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 hit on you at a like
1: a personal level and a humane level and they just kind of resonate a little bit well given the prevalence of you know myths in metal do you ever feel pressure to approach myth and legends in a way that red is kind of unique or distinct from how other bands have addressed them in the past or even potentially in a way that distances yourself from some of the ways that other bands have uh, used these kind of stories? Um, maybe uh, from the standpoint
2: of, for one, I have I, noticed that in a lot of music and, and lyrics where uh, mythology and folklore is, is a, a part of it, it doesn't dive into the source material as much as I would want to see. Mm-hmm. So that's where if you look at some of the lyrics that I have. There's there's references that are a little bit more obscure, which are kind of like a I don't <laughs> yeah. know why that's there, uh, and that's sometimes to my detriment because I'll be in the you know recording booth, and then the you know the sound engineer will say like Hey, can you take that? What, what word is that? Can you say that again? I that sounded weird. I'm like, oh, that's supposed to be how it sounds. Or it's like, well, can you say it a little bit cleaner? Because I couldn't quite make that out. Um, so I, I get myself into trouble with including that, but sometimes I, it's a challenge I like. Um, and then. Oh, um, there's a two-parter to your question. Oh, uh, just what was like that second part. Uh,
1: how do you did you think about approaching it in a way that would make them unique, or potentially even like distance yourself from some of the ways that other people have used myths in the past?
2: Oh, yeah. I guess it kind of goes back to my point about how I try to use them to for, for my argument. I, I don't believe that individuals are largely doing that. Uh, it's more just a story is here because it's a story versus. I wanted to tell a story because of what it fundamentally means. And then what does that one story mean in a portfolio of other stories that are kind of leading the listener and or and reader uh, to the same conclusion, which is, oh, shit, this is actually pretty dire. Um, maybe we shouldn't do what X, Y, and Z characters did.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. I suppose myths and folktales are particularly useful in that context because, you know, they're often designed to deliver teachings, right?
2: Yeah, Uh, I mean, they were um, essentially designed to, uh, and and this is where I kind of find it interesting, this is just like a kind of um, homework assignment I've created for myself is that whenever I go into um, learn more about these individual stories, because I don't know a lot about them off the bat, um, I I like doing research into them from a sociological standpoint, because Mm -hmm. they're they're designed to teach, to your point, uh, teach a thing, or teach not to do a thing, because If you don't do the thing, then you die or you starve or you are met with some sort of misfortune or misery. And so it's interesting to go, oh, that's interesting. It's an interesting story that kind of draws you in for one, but why was it written? What does it symbolize and why does it stick? And why did it stick for so long? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's, that's another thing that I try to loosely have written into my songs, but I can't honestly have the expectation that everyone's gonna care as much as I do. So really it's just, again, a thing for me to just find interesting as I'm going through the uh, the songwriting process and the research phase.
0: Hmm. So we do want to dive into and dig into your specific choice of myths and fairy tales, uh, but this is going to be a big one. So <clears throat> buckle up, um, okay. <laughs> because yeah, if you uh, for the listener's sake, if you do look through the lyrics uh, for. A, for Token's uh, first album, Ruins, uh, we can identify stories from diverse origins, as we've just kind of mentioned. Uh, so, as an example, um, the song The Retribution focuses on the story of the wolf Fenrir, uh, who's the son of Loki in Norse mythology, that I think most people are aware of. Uh, then, Deathless Prison draws on Russian folk tales of Koshi um, or Koshe um, and an evil, immortal man who menaces uh, young women with his magic. Uh, there's Hamasha. Um, which uh, is written from the perspective of Achilles, if I'm not mistaken, um, a Greek hero Mm -hmm. of the Trojan War. Uh, His rage-made manifest recalls part of the Sanskrit epics of ancient India, where the warrior um, Ashwatthama uh, fights against the uh, Pandavas uh, in the uh, Kurukshetra War. Uh, Then finally, Indelibility um, of Iniquity references the Irish Gaelic um, Sawan Festival and associated myths. This then uh, continues on your most recent release um, with songs like Remnant of Valor written from the perspective of uh, Viglaf, uh, the only soldier who stays to help Beowulf slay the dragon um, in the Anglo Saxon poem Beowulf, of course. Uh, then the song um, Demon Quella then seems to be written from the perspective of Yama, I assume, the king of hell or Di, um, common to kind of Chinese folk tradition, Taoism and Buddhism. Uh, then The Wrath That Weeps focuses on La Lorona, um, the weeping woman, um, a Hispanic uh, American vengeful ghost who appears near bodies of water and mourns her children whom she drowned. The labors refers to the labors performed by um, Hercules or Hercules, um, the son of Zeus, um, and the mortal woman, um, Akimene, in Greek mythology. And then Serpent King's Venom draws in the story of Zahak or Dahag, um, an evil figure in Persian mythology. Who becomes a ruler of uh, after the death of Jamshid, uh, the Shah of mythical Iranian dynasty? Then his Riastrad uh, describes the warrior and demigod um, uh, Kuklane um, in Irish mythology. Devil of the Sea de- details the uh, protagonist's encounter with uh, Naklavi, uh, a human horse hybrid demon from Orca- um, Orcadian myth- uh, folklore, which is from the Orkney Islands in Scotland. Uh, then drawing on Greek mythology again, we've got the song A Tyrant Rai- uh, Rises as Titans Fall, featuring the myth of Kronos, uh, who was destined to be destroyed by one of his children, Zeus. So
1: uh-huh.
0: that's a lot of different stories uh, from a lot of different kind of cultural origins. <laughs> um, so we were wondering just how did you select these stories? You said you did a lot of research. So what, what was the process of like doing that research and actually picking out these stories that you think are most appropriate for inclusion of, on these two albums?
2: So, first off, that's awesome that you got uh, that you did all research because I don't think I sent any specific <laughs> notes on that over to you at all. No. Uh, so that, that, that was great. Um, the, the only one that is um, not technically right is oh, the yeah, Demon exactly. Queller song. Uh, oh, so, right. that's about so it's it's King Yan. Uh, you got that part, but it's mm-hmm. King Yan talking about how he anointed uh, Zong Kui. Uh, and Zong Kui is the king of ghosts who is the Demon Queller. Um, so it's, it's his realizing, um, you know, this person has importance. I'm going to elevate him to, to status. I felt like that was an interesting perspective to mm. talk about the hero from a, a you know, a removed perspective, but, um, mm. yeah. How did I kind of choose all these, um, it, a lot of research, um, uh, during COVID, which I had a lot of time, I kind of just started taking a lot of notes in terms of, um, you know, different uh, mythologies from around the world and just writing down who are, and this is kind of a bit cliche, like who are the gods of death? And where, where did like mm. a lot of death happen or where did a lot of violence or uh, something along that sort that kind of stuck out to me. And then I just kind of jotted it down a little bit. And then this kind of, I had this book of, uh, of all this stuff. Um, so when I'm thinking about other albums um, or just even just albums that I'm writing at the time and I'm thinking about, how am I gonna pick a, a story for this? I'll just kind of thumb through and like, oh, this fits perfectly. This is my exhibit that I'll use in, in this argument, so to speak. Um, and so that's kind of how I'll pick all these is that I had to build the file before I could start taking the, the specific stories out of it.
1: So what kind of motivated you though, to seek out uh, so many different stories from so many different cultures other than kind of like, there's a lot, we've seen a lot of bands that focus on one kind of area, like I guess, Amon Marth and Vikings being the prototypical example. Why did you want to throw such like a large net here? Um because when you take a look at the
2: stories, they're because kind of going back to to Jess's point, like that they're meant to convey there's a sociological aspect to it. Um, the reason why I picked it is because they are stole that they're told from um from that culture's perspective. And that culture is trying to say something very specific. And so um, that's the reason why I, I try to mix it up, is because every every story is coming at uh, a different type of human emotion and a different type of human thought from a different background, right? Um, They, uh, as societies, developed at their own pace and have different influences which formed their stories, and they're all going to be a little bit uh, nuanced from one another, even if they're covering the exact same thing. And so that's why I think that it's important to have kind of a diversity in terms of using one idea next to another idea, because while they may be very, uh, you know, related, they're still gonna be nuanced enough that I think that it's important to include them in in the body of work, which is the album.
0: Hmm. Well, although there are like, you know, obviously stories drawn from a lot of different cultural contexts, uh, the only recurring mythologies that we found across the two albums are Greek and Irish mythologies. Was there any reason for which you (laughs) kind of returned to these, uh, but not others?
2: um I studied um classical um or, or classical studies That's kind of a weird um, misnomer uh, in college so learning about Greek mythology specifically so I have a a, a wider um <laughs> uh, n- n- amount of, of mythology to pull from in that respect so uh, unfortunately that's kind of my my comfort zone my where mm-hmm. I can just pull from a lot um so I, that's where I kind of draw from a a bit and then also the Irish mythology just was interesting to me because um, if we rewind rewind the clock back to when um, my my guitarist Steve said hey do you want to form this band for token I was just looking into Irish mythology for fun and so that's where that was the first kind of I'm starting to build the file in terms of collecting stories and finding this interesting Uh, and that's kind of just where I thought oh I just have all these things and this is kind of where I started. So this is kind of the two main, um, you know, cultures that I'm drawing from.
1: So what kind of research goes into um, making sure that when you approach the story of other people or culture, uh, that you do so in a way that feels like authentic or real, or that you actually understand it? Like, uh, does the work you do change depending on how close the story slash group is to your own background and what you're familiar with?
2: Uh, I keep it fairly uh, standardized across the board, um, which uh, can be a bit uh, of a headache for myself because I like to cross-reference things uh, and have at least three notable references that, hmm. that validate something as this was absolutely what happened um, so that I feel comfortable writing it down and not having one of these expert mythology folklore people in the crowd go, hey you're lying or that was wrong. I'm trying to avoid that. Mm-hmm. I want to be as accurate as possible. And then also one thing, depending on the culture, um, a lot of people are on Facebook, which is kind of cool. So like I can message, you know, people in Ireland and, me- and say like, hey, do you know about this creature? And they're like, I don't know what the hell that is. I'm like, okay, cool. Thanks for your time. So it allows me to, you know, just check in with a lot of people and, and such um, and just confirm things. Uh, I'll ask. I'm not, uh, you know, afraid of asking, you know different uh, you know, uh, groups on Facebook who um, who you know kind of look into mythology for for themselves as a hobby. So I'll ask them like, "Hey, what's going on with this?" or "Can you provide a little bit more background?" Just to offer that you know second or or third uh, source of validation.
1: So kind of broadly speaking, then, what is the um, purpose or goal in kind of retelling these stories in a format like extreme metal? Uh, what does the uh, the genre that we that you work in? give to the retelling of a tale that's been told for for generations, do you find?
2: I try to, um, uh, just, just change the delivery a little bit. Um, I don't know if this is gonna be um, one of your questions that I'm kind of cheating ahead of the line, but um, one of the things that I do is I mess with um, the timing. So I'll sometimes start a story in the middle of the story or at the end of the story. So it'll kind of be a bit of a flashback. So what I like to do is I I don't like to tell a story um, in order all that much because I just find that repetitive and boring. And so that's where I try to take some artistic liberty with it, which is kind of spruce it up a little bit to make it more action oriented in my head as I'm reading through this and thinking, oh, this is cool because it's kind of um, creating a little bit more drama to it. Like, uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Dunkirk, but the the movie Dunkirk, um, it's really like 20 minutes of action, but they just jump around from perspective so much. You're like, wow, that's so frantic and exciting because I don't even know what's happening or when it's happening. So that's kind of like the approach to um, lyric writing that I take. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, a lot of the stories that featured um, in songs of both ruins and triumphs um, often involve uh, violent conflict and or war, if we can kind of... Uh, return to an earlier discussion we were kind of having about like, you know, why these stories co- so often get um, incorporated into metal. Um, and yeah, we can see this in in songs um, like, you know, um, those that reference uh, the conflicts that occurred during Ragnarok, um, when Fenrir will be set free or the war fought by the Ashwatthama uh, against Pandavas uh, uh, and the siege of Troy led by Achilles, um, uh, as discussed on Ruin. Uh, and then on Triumphs, we likewise see references to Baal's fight against the dragon, Heracles' killing of the Hydra, uh, Zahak's various murders, Ku claims, battles, and so on. Um, so was it your intention to like select stories that did have these kind of clear, like, um, like violent or kind of war-like components?
2: Um. Again, I hate to be so uh, dismissive, but with, with just a simple answer, but yes, um, just because they <laughs> yeah, they lend that's themselves fine, yeah. to the genre in such a way. Because at the end of the day, right? You can try to be as um, nerdy about stuff, but if it doesn't, if it doesn't stick, if it's not cool, if it's not fun to listen to, if it's not exciting to read then yeah, I don't know. That's I, I just don't find the point in doing it. And I, I'm guessing people who are listening to it probably wouldn't want to read over it either. So I kind of think that I think about that in terms of when I'm writing. Um, I want this to be fun for me. And if it's fun for me, I hope it's fun for other people. Um, so that's kind of how I take stock of what I'm trying to do and, and the stories that I'm picking, because if I can't talk about it and i'm excited about it and trying to if i'm not excited just talking about it because i think it's cool then i can't imagine singing about it and trying to also enjoy it
1: so uh, another pattern that we noticed that you've kind of talked about so i'll I'll try to rephrase this question as i ask it but um on ruins you mentioned that it kind of involves stories of failures but it's often not just characters that have failed but characters that are imprisoned or trapped so for instance Fender is bound to your grassle tree uh koshai is imprisoned by a warrior princess uh maria morevana who is later prince, uh, imprisoned by them uh before they're eventually killed and the story of achilles references him being trapped in skiros uh to protect him but still trapped and then later being doomed along with the character hector and in the more abstract sense uh ashwathama is cursed by krishna to be trapped in immortality wandering the forests endlessly um, and then similarly, at the end of the song, Indelibility of Iniquity, we get the impression the protagonist is effectively trapped in Tek Duin after their death. Conversely, in Triumphs, which again, you, you mentioned that it's kind of about success, you have characters uh, succeeding endeavors, such as Wiglaf and Beowulf slaying the dragon, Hercules killing the Hydra, uh, Cooch Lane dying heroically in Baterell, and at the end of A Tyrant Rises, as Tyrant's Fall, we see Cronus celebrating his successful imprisonment of the Titans, despite knowing that he'll die by Zeus. So um, you mentioned these kind of core themes and how you have, you know, uh, failure and then success, which is perhaps not as successful as you think, but uh, is there anything about these two concepts like success and failure that also feel particularly metal for myths? Like why not investigate myths on say the creation of the universe or why not investigate myths on like how the underworld works? What is it about like success and failure, despite the nice contrast that really links them to what you're trying to do?
2: Uh, first off, that that's awesome to hear you got that because um, not a lot of people, at least, you know, because we're a younger band, so um, n- not a lot of people have come up to me and said, hey, this is, I, I got it. So that's really cool to see yeah. that you got it. Um, yeah, she, she has an impressive
1: uh, background researcher.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, that, that's, that's cool. Um, and then in terms of um, just to why there's kind of the, the duality to it, it's just because, I wanted every album to have kind of a unique approach and so I'm, I'm going to be always shifting. Now, with respect to a creation uh themed album, that is something potentially I could um investigate into, but uh it follows kind of like a um a weird the, the at least in terms of the the way that I mapped out how I was going to do these kind of overarching arguments was um when you're Looking at information, you kind of are introspective, so you're thinking about yourself, and then you're thinking about the outward aspects of things. So with ruin, it's more I'm being introspective and thinking about my current state that I've created for myself, and then with triumphs, it's thinking about I'm observing the world. What has everyone else done? Everyone else is in as squeaky clean as as they kind of lend themselves out to be because there is a lot of debt. There is a lot of collateral damage. things do kind of suck everywhere and so then with the next album it's going to progress to another idea so it's not to say that I'm kind of um, not doing what you're saying but with the core idea of having the the duality with um, imprisonment and kind of um, I guess freedom to an extent um, it's more just a progression of kind of a one central thought so that's where the things are kind of going in that trajectory a little bit.
1: So was the first album about feeling trapped in a way, personally?
2: Um, it, it was meant to, uh, so one of the things, this is kind of kind of funny to say, is that, so I was hanging out with a bunch of friends of mine, and I was talking about, I'm going to be doing uh, lyrics for a, a band, and I'd like, to, I'd like it to kind of um, really make you think a little bit as to, like, what did I just read, and why do I feel a little bit like weird a little bit, a little bit, uh, you know, uh, uncomfortable with what I just read. Um, kind of like a a, a Cannibal Corpse, uh, I, I did, I crossed the bingo box for you. You did, right? yeah. Uh, yeah, ding, ding, ding. so um, I wanted it to be like a, a something like a Cannibal Corpse style um, lyric, but that type of thing doesn't really hit the same way when you're older. Um, what does hit you is things that you are, aware of like very acutely in terms of you, you do sometimes feel trapped. You do feel sometimes like you made a mistake. You do sometimes feel like, you know, you potentially are going to harm your family or you do you, at least you fear for all of these things. And so these are very real, very, um, very, uh, you know, um, very palatable things that people can understand. And so that's why I wanted to include them in that uh, in that album, because it was kind of a reflection on like, uh, you know, just what is what is impactful from a medical lyrical, medical, uh, sorry, metal lyrical standpoint? Um, you know, when you're a little bit older. Mm.
0: Mm. Well, moving on to a discussion of your language use, I wanted to talk about your use of perspective um, because the majority of your songs are written from the first person perspective, so showing the use of the pronoun I. Um, and we thought this is interesting because most of the songs are, do appear to be written from the perspective of a particular kind of folklore character, mythical figure, like, you know, Cronus, Achilles, Yama, and therefore, you know, not your own perspective, as we discussed earlier. Um, what do you think is the effect of retelling stories um, like this from the first person perspective rather than, say, the third person?
2: I, I think that what makes a lot of the myth- mythologies and, and the folklore really have a lasting appeal to it is that the characters are us but like turned up to 11 a little bit, Mm. right? They have the ability to succeed like immensely, but fail also as immensely, right? They just do it in different ways and probably do it in faster and and more devastating ways. And so one of the things that I'd like to kind of bring home is that what if you were in this position? It's actually probably very easy for you to put yourself into that position. Like I'm off going to war. I wonder what that's like. I, you know, it's, you have, and this is me referring back to uh, um, Amarsha where uh, Achilles is feeling trapped initially. Um, I, I wanted him to feel like I, I can't get into the battle. I want to get into battle. I'm, I'm, you know, hungry for it. But then when he actually gets there, he realizes oh, this actually sucks, and I hate being here, <laughs> and I'm, de- yeah. I'm destined to die. And you know, was this even my fault? I'm not sure. This is actually fairly terrible. Um, I think that that's a very human emotion and something that resonates with a lot of people and that's why I want to kind of take the perspective of these characters because maybe not everyone thought about what is it like when the battle is over in terms of when the dust is cleared and and everybody's dead except for you or maybe you are dead and you didn't want to die you know that kind of sucks so there's a little bit of you know ignorance on that and so I wanted to highlight that a little bit more.
1: Hmm. Hmm. So when you write in that perspective, do you, do you always select characters <clears throat> that you feel you can adopt the perspective of? Like, have you ever uh, started down writing about a character and found out you didn't kind of identify with them and toss it to the side?
2: Uh, I actually started writing one or two stories from a, a female perspective, and I ultimately put those to the side, not because I didn't want to do them, but it was just because they didn't fit within the overall uh, theme that I was going for. And then also with this last album, we were talking about, OK, well, we can only make you know eight original songs on here. Um, which one's going to get chopped off? And then I was like, well, I guess this one doesn't fit musically. So that one's going to be put aside for, for the next album. So um, I do try to pick stories that resonate with me. But one of the things with compiling this, this record of all these stories is that you Really get a chance to understand their back, all the characters' backgrounds, and really understand what they went through. And so, it's very easy for me to kind of empathize with okay, well, what was it probably like? And for me to then write that uh perspective into the story. So, uh, it's I guess that it, it it's a little bit easier given the amount of homework that was done
1: beforehand. Mm. Mm. So, have you found yourself empathizing with a character <clears throat> like during the process of, or like, have you found? Has writing a song ever given you a new perspective?
2: Uh, A little bit, um, actually, with um, uh, the the song with uh, Kronos and and Zeus. Um, So everyone always kind of thinks about Zeus first because he's the most popular one. But ultimately, the story of Kronos is being uh, overthrown by your son. So I, I was kind of trying to write this in like a... Star Wars-y aspect where you get mm. the perspective yeah. of Darth Vader, I eat Kronos first, and he's trying to, oh, he's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to overthrow his father because his mother asked him to do it. And so he does. And then he realizes he gets a prophecy from his dying father that you're going to get killed by your son. And then he realizes in you know, panic, I don't want that to happen to me. I, I need to solidify my rule forever. And he doesn't realize in doing that, he's becoming kind of a monster and a bit of a tyrant and just setting himself up for the inevitable, you know, transgressions from his son to ultimately kill him. But then it the cycle repeats with Zeus ultimately doing that and wanting to end any sort of challenging, you know, from his uh, progeny in the future too. So um, it's something that as you're kind of looking into the individual stories, and I'm not doing anything new, I'm just reading through the stories, but it's that understanding that makes them, um, I like them a little bit more because I, I'm, I'm now reading into it, trying to understand these little aspects that kind of uh, speak to me a little bit louder. And that helps me, I think, write a little bit better.
1: Hmm.
0: Well, it's interesting that you talked about the Kronos, um, <clears throat> yeah, example, because I wanted to talk about that. just, um, as a kind of, yeah, along kind of similar lines, because we notice that like um, some, some songs don't actually directly state um, whose perspective is actually being taken up. Uh, so the listener, or in this case, reader, um, has to refer to clues, um, like for instance, about the character's parentage or deeds, um, you know, to work out who the eye represents. So in the example of Cronus that we we're just talking about, Uh, Cronos isn't actually referenced by name in A Tyrant Rises as Titans Fall, but the song has lines like, you know, my father Uranus uh, came to reign and shared prophecy, I died by progeny, which, you know, indirectly indicate who the I is. Uh, I was wondering, did you intentionally obfuscate the identity like of the character whose perspective you take up in each song? Uh,
2: Yes, Uh, simply Hmm. because I, for one, I feel like if you kind of know who this is? You're gonna be like, oh, I know this. This is kind of cool. You sit back and you're like, you're reading through this, and other people may be thinking like, what is this story about? It's like, I know who it is. Do you know who it is? So it's kind of fun from somebody who, mm. who kind of looks at it from that perspective. On the other hand, um, I really don't like it in movies where it's like, all right, so are you saying we have to be fast and furious? And you're like, ah, that's that's terrible. Um, so I don't <laughs> think I, I don't I hate interjecting um, obvious things into songs when they don't need to be. Uh, and and a lot of times you're not going to be like, hey, I'm Dan, you know, because like, <laughs> I know you're Dan. Why why are you, you know, saying that? We already are aware of who you are, so that part is irrelevant. And and if the perspective is, is from you know me or you know um, me being um, one of these characters, I wouldn't talk about myself in the third person either. That would be a little bit odd.
0: Mm, yeah. I mean, do you have people coming up to you to like ask whether or not like you know their interpretation of like you know the perspective is correct in the same way that we've kind of just done?
2: I have, um, and uh, generally it's been, um, what is this about? Who is this about? Mm. Uh, and and what's kind of cool too is that just people have written to me and um and been asking like I don't actually, and this is you know probably because of the perspective shifting and and jumping around of uh you know when it, the story starts and and. Um, where it ends, um, but uh, a lot of people from like Eastern Europe or from Mexico or Spain have like reached out to me and said like I want to know more about this. Um, I, this all sounds really cool, but I have no idea who it's about, and I don't really have a good grasp of you know the overall arcing story. Can you kind of explain this out to me? And and that's something that I happily write over to people because I kind of take it as a you know a sense of pride where I can get somebody else who maybe didn't think about this when they started, but they're certainly thinking about it now. And now that's something that we've connected over, which is you know the, the aspect of respecting the stories and just understanding how cool they are.
1: Hmm. So one thing in the way that you tell these stories, uh, there's a style that we felt kind of has a little bit of a distinctly old world feel. Um, this is sometimes achieved through the use of sort of uh, old or archaic english language like the lines on remnant for valor which read hrothgar's bane uh, merrick stapa quarry for his fame twas drugged mutilated and retreated to die in the marshes uh featuring the old english twas and merrick which is a boundary stepper or one who launders the desolate borderland in other contexts though your language isn't straightforwardly old in the sense of you know twas but perhaps uncommon outside of literary poetic writing so for example lines like i awoke in agony again their frantic screams incessant, every night I relive a sickening sight of a family who woefully lost their lives from devil of the sea, contains words like awoke and woefully that, you know, we all recognize, but we're not going to use them in everyday interaction necessarily. And of course, uh, you mentioned at the very beginning with the name token, uh, not being old English, but being a kind of uh, modern literary English rare term for a sign of something to come is this use of older uh, or poetic in English language something that's intentional or did it just come up organically because you're writing about myths and folktales? Like uh, what is the effect you're aiming for with this? And would it be strange if you wrote your lyrics basically the same way, but using very modern English expression instead?
2: Hmm. Uh, Yes, actually. So I find that... um if you were to use modern English in some of these stories um, or modern language, it would be like anachronistic where it just, it would stick out and like that they don't say fuck back in the medieval <laughs> ages, or at least we don't know that for certain. It just kind of doesn't really make sense. And so if, if I'm trying to set a, a like an atmosphere and a tone and, and exposition for a story, and then I, and I throw in something like that, and it says like you know, Coke in the background. Like that's like the equivalent of me throwing in something that is modern. It it looks so out of place. And then you're wondering, I can't. It it, it took me out of that you know world you were building. So mm. I'm, I'm a little bit. I have to get back into it. And I, I don't want people to skip a step. I want them to be fully uh, invested, you know, and all the way through.
1: I mean, so this is this is the thing. That kind of comes up in a few interviews, but. Given that you're screaming everything, right? Um, would people even know if you use modern language? I would know, I guess. You would know. <laughs> so it, it, it would ruin for me. I, I, I,
2: every time I would sing the song, I would know like it, this just doesn't sit right. And I'm sure that there's gonna people. There's gonna be people who you know look through the lyrics and they're like, that seems weird. And then. Uh, you know, there's group number three, which is um, those who can, you you said like the, whether lyrics can be intelligible or not. I've been told that I am fairly, um, I enunciate a lot when I sing. Mm. Um, That's just kind of my style. And so if I was to say that people would go, whoa, did he just, that doesn't make sense. Now I can't stop thinking about that. And I don't want that to happen during a set. Mm. Um, So that's another reason why I kind of try to stay within the mythology character i guess you could say Hmm.
0: Hmm. do you think there's anything like distinctly metal about using kind of older sounding language like is it to your perception like more metal like sounding to use like older kind of poetic language in comparison to kind of more modern conversational english
2: um i I think that there's in, in in general probably individuals like to use that because it uh it's like you're you're speaking from a, a older tradition, um, you know. It, that's probably why. Uh, like, why did Morbid Angel, you know, sing the way they or write the way mm. they did? You know, they were trying to align themselves with a certain style, and that style, from a literary standpoint, kind of that's how it reads. And so it's it's trying to it, it's wearing the clothes, I guess you could say. It, it's an outfit, right? So you want your words to be dressed in the style that you were trying to convey. Um, so that's why I think that they probably try to do it a little bit. Um, th- does that answer your question? I kind of- Yeah, yeah, no, no totally, yeah, yeah. Tangent. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, totally. Like, cause as you say, it is a relatively, like, common pattern that we have we have seen in a lot of, like, um, metal lyrics. And it seems like there could be, like, diverse explanations for it. But certainly, like, I suppose, like, a want or yearning for, like, that um, older time in some way or romanticising, like, um, older texts, um, older time periods could be um, part of it. Um, but, of course, there's various different ways that like, people can try to generate this older style of language. So we did want to um, ask, like, how does... How has that happened for you? Like, did it just come kind of naturally or were you inspired by like the style of prose in particular texts that you might've referenced when you were developing the lyrics?
2: Uh, It it was kind of inspired. Um, It really, I I don't know if you picked up on this where I kind of uh, tried to directly insert direct quotes uh, from certain Mm -hmm. stories uh in in some of the early off of ruin you can kind of read that where you're like wait is that just a direct quote from the iliad and yeah it is and that (laughs) was just kind of one thing that i was trying to in input there because there were just certain lines that are really cool like um i only wish my fury would compel compel me to cut away his flesh and eat it raw that just sounds really cool um but from uh a a standpoint of just trying to write that Style, I would just say, uh, you know, it is something that I think is is neat. Yeah,
1: are direct quotes really tricky though? Like, what happens if if the the quote, like the one you just had, is one syllable longer than the riff? Uh,
2: then it's best to paraphrase or just drop the idea, which is something oh, okay. that I've become a lot more comfortable with uh, in, in the second album. Because um, from a just a songwriting standpoint, one thing that I've found is that if you become too fixed on like a, a line and you try to build an entire you know song or or, or, you know verse around it you're gonna make it suck like just throw it away and then you'll go back to it and realize wait a second this is way better than that first line was gonna set me down so uh it's it's it's, you scrap that idea as quickly as you can
1: so you know broadly speaking though outside of these kind of ye olde styles uh, I'd say that your lyrics we mentioned that your vocal delivery as well is pretty accessible in terms of you know the Uh, the difficulty of the language and and how it's performed. But there are a few cases that stood out to us as being a bit distinct from casual speech while also not necessarily feeling super old. Like, for instance, on Bewildering Darkness, the protagonist states that they have, quote, elucidated to my wife that something was stalking us from a distance, with elucidated really standing out there rather than, like, said to my wife or explained to my wife. Um, And you have lines like, when efforts of execution failed to deliver me to death, which is all clear, I was immured. Uh, rather than imprisoned or confined, with Immurge really standing out compared to the difficulty of the rest of that sentence. Um, and on the new album, the song The Laborist is line, now wielding its bloody, uh, sorry, excuse me, now wielding its deadly blood, not bloody death, uh, no man, monster, mystery, shielded, murderous, uh, with no problems here. Uh, with this, my expiation ends, uh, with expiation being making amends. Uh, standing out quite prominently in terms of how familiar that word is. Like, I, I, I have no idea what, what that was before mm. I read your lyrics. Um, so what's the goal of this kind of sprinkling of, of quite obscure English vocabulary here and there among otherwise pretty accessible phrasings? Uh, honestly, it, it's because
2: I want there to be a very uh, obvious rhythmic flow to the lyrics. And if uh, if I'm using a lot of uh, assonance and alliteration um, like you were mentioning, mm-hmm. I sometimes have to dig into these words that are not used as much just because they make it rhyme a little bit better. So you were referencing, oh, this is a little bit off, but um when I said elucidating um in uh, bewildering dress, uh, the reason why I wanted to use that word was because I wanted to kind of craft the the image of of somebody who is losing their sanity. So it, it becomes they are thinking, very clearly and using very clear language and and high level or you know you know college terms or whatnot Mm -hmm. and then it kind of goes into panic mode and then starts not using those words Mm -hmm. so it kind of lends itself to that 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 sanity loss a little bit and that panic and fear um with um uh you mentioned immured uh in um uh deathless prison um that's more immured um and then I, I believe I forgot the ex- exact line, but Mario Morvina is off there, so it's a it's a kind of an underscoring the the M sound for the Emerged Mario Morvina mm-hmm. part of it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of when I tried to dig into these um, you know multisyllabic words a little bit more because they allow me to write a better um, a line from from just having the the syllables in it um, you know lend itself to a better song
1: how do you even find these words though? Like, like, uh, elucidated, I, I knew, but, uh, immerged, uh, and expiation I, I'd never mm. heard of. And I consider my vocabulary to be decent, you know, uh, like, did you, is this, you know, you said you did a bit of study. Is it something that just comes up in the myths or do you seek these kind of words? Uh,
2: I, I do both. Um, so, uh, I read, I don't read a lot though. I'm not going to say that I, I read a bunch of books, listen to more podcasts now than anything else. Cause, cause I mm-hmm. am lazy. Um, but I, I like to pick up words every once in a while, and I'll just like jot them down in my phone, just because it's like, well, store that away for something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not above also just using a thesaurus or just looking online, because um, why limit yourself to any of the? What's it? The was the original pack of crayons was 12, but the other one is 64. It's like if I have if I have a, access to all these other you know colors, why do mm-hmm. I want to limit myself to these select ones? Which are, if anything, they're limiting how I am able to communicate. So I want to draw from as many. As, as specific a word choice as I can.
1: And sometimes I have to go and, and look those up. I, this is kind of a heavy question. So again, this is uh, this is all exploratory, not accusatory. Um, okay. But <laughs> if you're trying to expand the way that you communicate, isn't there like a potential irony there in that by using a difficult word, you end up not communicating? Um, I, I don't think that I use
2: those words with such frequency that Contextually, you don't know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. You can infer maybe what I'm talking about, and that's probably close enough for you to go back, back and think like I'm going to look up what that word means specifically. Oh, it means something slightly different than what I thought it meant. Uh, If anything, it just means it's more specific to what you know Dan was talking about. I'm not trying to throw in so many of these words where you're looking at it and you're like, I have no concept of what. This person's trying to say, I'm not reading a philosophy book. Um, I'm not a big fan of reading philosophy books. And I don't want my songs to read like them because they just give me a headache.
1: So I'm going to torture your little crayon analogy here a bit. Okay. Um, Can you use too many crayons? And does metal allow you to use more crayons than other genres would?
2: Only if you start to color over the crayons, uh, continue <laughs> the metaphor, right? Okay. As yeah, long sure. as you're, as long as you're neat and with it in terms of, I'll just try to keep this as going as long as I can, because yeah. I find it funny to me, as Absolutely. long as you can, you can draw the colors next to one another. You can even have certain ones overlap, but there comes a point where you can't have certain colors overlap over others or else it gets too jumbled or, or a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can have as much as you want, but you don't want to, you know, jackson pollock painting at the end of it right you want some degree of even if it's chaos it's got to be artistically designed to be chaos not accidentally chaos unless that's what you're trying to do like in grindcore which sometimes just sounds like a a blender um -hmm. to me um that's not really one of my styles so i probably shouldn't uh, say anything bad about it but um it's just that's what you're trying to create and you know just be mindful of what you're trying to create and if you just keep sight of what you're trying to do probably doesn't really matter if you uh go over the edges a little bit
1: Do you think the mm-hmm. metal is is more accepting of like more crayons on a page than than other genres would be
2: oh yeah absolutely
1: um I, because I, like going back to um you
2: know we were talking about well how can we actually understand you know dan or, or people like dan who are doing all the screaming um we can get away with a lot in terms of you can't hear exactly what we're saying and, and that's also dependent on vocal style so um, if you were doing like gutturals, then you can get away with mispronouncing words or uh, in some of the songs I tried speaking um, Spanish and I can't speak Spanish that well. So um, I I hope that that helps me obfuscate uh, my uh, lack of pronunciation a little bit or my uh, pronunciation of Swedish, which is I know is really bad. I've gotten uh, some comments from my friends on that. So um, <laughs> So, yeah, it, it does allow me to um, kind of play with uh, the word choice a little bit. And it also allows me to be a bit sloppy, but not too sloppy.
0: Okay. Well, this actually leads perfectly onto our next question because I was going to ask you about the non-English elements, um, you know, of your lyrics, um, because it's it's really interesting, particularly as like people who study non-English languages. Um, So, for example, lyrics from Deathless uh, Prison include three repetitions of the Russian phrase, uh, uh, um, never ever. Um, And then uh, there's uh, which I presume is the Swedish phrase that you were mentioning earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. And in the, um, the Wrath That Weeps, there's several lines, as you mentioned just before, that are produced in Spanish um, that, you know, translate to she will come, uh, come soon, woman in white, take your life, sorrowful Maria, always searching night waters, searching endlessly, crying and lamenting, where are my children? Uh, and then, of course, there are a lot of kind of names uh, for mythical figures and supernatural entities that are drawn from other languages, um, like Eshi um, from um, Irish, um, yeah, Irish Gaelic. Um, that's, I believe, the name for a supernatural race in Irish mythology. There's Di um, Hel, Gui, um, which is ghost in Chinese Mandarin. Um, so what was the goal of scattering the kind of these words and phrases um, throughout your songs? Is there, Do they create a kind of particular effect in your mind?
2: They they do, and if we're talking about the names, um, whether they are the names of things or the names of people, I feel that it's important to keep those because otherwise, mm-hmm. it's me. I, I'm I'm taking too far a step back from the culture that it comes from. I want that mm-hmm. to be a very omnipresent part of of the songs, which is you know that this is a you know a Mexican folklore song, or you you know this is an Irish. Um song based on the the use of the the names. Um, and then with respect to um the songs where I actually try to speak uh, the language that it was originally from, um that's just me just trying to pay homage a little bit to it. And then, at least with specifically with the the song um the wraith that weeps, um that's uh, the character Llorona is known for saying that. That's kind of her yeah. catchphrase. And so when I thought about writing the song, I thought, oh, I have to have this line in here, but it seemed a bit, disingenuous to only have one line in Spanish. Um, I, I figured, well, if I'm just going to do one line, I can go ahead and write an entire full chorus in it. And what I found actually with writing in um, or at least with Spanish anyway, and, and just how romance languages work is that it's actually easier to write um songs that rhyme in mm-hmm. those, those languages compared to English, because it's English is such a hard grading voice, doesn't sound that it's, you know, it's a dramatic voice uh, or or language. It doesn't sound uh, great unless you're trying to sound grady, I guess. Um, So it allows you to write more melodically. Um, So that's something that I've kind of taken a mental note on. So uh, if I'm writing something in, say, I don't know, Italian in the future, you know, it's going to be a little bit easier than if I try to write something in English um, Mm -hmm. from a rhyming perspective.
1: So what about the inclusion of particular languages? Is there a reason why you included like a lot of Spanish but no Greek, for example? Are there languages that you feel uh, fit your music or fit metal more than others?
2: Uh, It's a bit of a cop out. Uh, I just thought about things that I can potentially be able to say without utterly butchering it Mm -hmm. and things that I can't. Um, So I am not confident at all with Greek. Another reason why is that I do have some friends, I'm fortunate enough to uh, have some friends uh, who do speak other languages, and so I can go to them and say, how do you say this, and how wrong am I? So they can kind of coach me into not sounding like a complete idiot, um, <laughs> and hopefully that's how it was with Swedish and Spanish and um, and a little bit of the Chinese, so um, hopefully that kind of finds its way onto the album.
0: Well how about when you actually wrote the lyrics like particularly the Spanish lyrics so did you actually write those out like yourself like you know excluding the famous phrase that you mentioned um and then just have those like kind of checked over with somebody like who's a proficient Spanish user or um yeah how did you do it Uh
2: yeah so I I did take uh Spanish in um in college and also high school cuz there was enough time in between where I'd g- basically just forgotten it mm-hmm. um I know the words and I know roughly the conjugation but um I'm not hundred percent on it. So I knew enough to kind of write enough that I thought it made sense. Uh, And then I just said, is this right? And they they just changed, you know, one or two uh, minor conjugations to make it correct.
1: Mm. So what about when you were choosing specific uh, words? Was there anything involved in that? Like when writing English, for instance, you have clearly searched out, as you mentioned, specific synonyms. Uh, to narrow down a specific feeling or image or to work in a rhyme or like a rhythm. Is this something you were able to do in other languages or did you feel really kind of limited in in what you were able to um, produce? I, I felt limited for another way you didn't mention, which is in English,
2: we have a tendency or I have a tendency to speak with a lot of idioms. And I didn't realize mm. how limiting that was until I ultimately tried to write a lyric, mm. uh, especially within Swedish. Where at least within Spanish, it's like you know I do know some of the words, but with Swedish, I was saying I, I wanted to you know write burning, and then Swedish is tough because there's just so many different types of way to ways to burn things, mm. and they mean different things. Um, and so I was running this by a friend of mine who speaks Swedish, and he says, uh, "Hold on." What do you, let's have a call. Uh, You tell me what you're trying to say. (laughs) And then, and then I will help you with the right word because uh, I, we went back and forth over text a few times and then uh, it was just, um, it was a little bit confusing for both of us, I guess you could say so it was just easier to hash it out over the
1: phone. Okay. Mm.
0: Well, something else in terms of patterns that we picked up um, on uh yeah songs of the both albums, I suppose, is a consistent presence of rhyme um in your lyrics uh, that appear to be in kind of a range of different um forms. So if, for example, in lines like uh From my death of Bravery, a monster un- of unmixed malignity, um, there is blood on the door, uh, there were limbs on the floor, or alternatively, uh, Song of Merdas, um, what do you say? Uh, I want what's owed supremacy. Um, then do as I dictate kill my father, gladly I'll obey, Uh, the trap is set and lies in wait, Uh, or even scheme devised uh, in order to find hacked and cut wounds cauterized. So what effect does the rhyme, particularly kind of changing rhyme schemes like this add to your lyrics, um, does it provide something that would be lost if the rhyme wasn't there?
2: Um, I I think so. Uh, I think that at least for what I was trying to do, I want the every line to kind of be a hook I want it to be kind of stuck in in your ear and for you to think just kind of as you're you know mowing the lawn or doing whatever throughout your day and you're you just like hearing this and you're like ah, damn that that is a catchy line that's kind of how I approach lyric writing is just I just want it to be catchy a little bit because then you remember it and then mm. this is also kind of a an ode to the way that all of these epic poems and such were originally written which was they are oral traditions so like um well we don't know who actually wrote the Iliad right but I I imagine that you know through that oral tradition it wouldn't have survived if it didn't have some degree of rhyme to it um so that's kind of what I've thought about as well Is well I'm already in the kind of you know hemisphere of mythology why not just try to continue the tradition right that's what they did to make it memorable that's something that I can do as well I'm gonna have to work at it though so it's it's
1: one of the things that I, I try to incorporate. That was actually our next question, so yeah, (laughs) that that (laughs) was knocked out of the park. Uh, I guess there's a lot of alliteration across your albums as well. Is that something that's also intentional, like or linking back to that poetic form in song titles like "The Wraith That Weeps" or lines like "I emerge as an altruistic opposition, enemies eliminated, elevated to emperor." Uh, Is that like is that the same? Is is the goal the same? The motive the same for rhyme, or is something else going on with the alliteration that you use?
2: That that's it. It's because it it kind of just really sticks in your head. It's it's a bit of a jingle and you just sometimes you, you may find yourself tomorrow, uh, you know, replaying that line through your head and it just rhymes and then uh you'll just be like, hey, I just want to listen to the song. So hopefully, you know, um it, it does does that uh, exact thing, which is it makes people want to listen to it.
1: So one thing that we saw in your lyrics that we've never seen before and that really kind of interests me personally is because I, I mentioned a few times, I think that like I, I officially studied um, language use that's restricted to writing. Uh, and you use a lot yeah. of punctuation in a lot of ways that uh, we haven't seen. Uh, so there's a lot of ellipses, like on bewildering duress has six, uh, which is that period, 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 as in I'm sorry, dot, 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 or my family is here, dot, dot, dot. Uh, and then you have a deathless prison with lines like or maybe it's blood loss. dot 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 question mark and she escaped comma again exclamation question mark tracking their trail comma i was surprised to see comma ivan exclamation question mark um and on the new album the song demon queller has intelligent comma no doubt comma anything to say comma in your defense question mark or i consumed comma and thus began comma his legend exclamation mark and ellipses come back in lines like all i need is an usurper dot 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 from serpent king's venom and you've even added some like Emily Dickinson style em-dashes in the lyrics as well. So I guess like to simple like what's up with the punctuation? Uh, they don't seem to reflect actual pauses in your singing. Uh, so what motivates such extensive marking in the written form of your lyrics?
2: Uh, they're, they're stories. Uh, they're stories as much as they are uh, lyrics. And so uh, when you're reading through those, it's like um, they they convey a very specific um tone and message like with the ellipses use or the exclamation or the commas. Um, you know, like you were mentioning uh one of the, the lines from Demon Queller where uh it's it's um the the character zongqi is being um almost like interrogated, right? And so it's a what do you have to say, you know, for yourself? There there's dramatic pauses. And so that's something that I wanted to do, inject into all of the songs that are right, because there is kind of a theatric component to it that sometimes you can't really get in The delivery of the song, but you can if you read it. So Mm -hmm. um, the funny thing about when you probably read it, at least for um, a lot of people, I'm kind of projecting a little bit, is sometimes when you listen to the song, you read the booklet, um, you know, separately sometimes from the music. You may be doing the two things simultaneously, but in my head, uh, I kind of imagine a bit of a movie. And so it's almost like a script. So I'm just, I'm storyboarding out what I'm reading in my head. And if those are there, it helps me kind of paint a more complete picture. And I thought, hey, this is kind of cool. Um, Maybe other people think it's cool too.
0: Would you be disappointed if people didn't go to the effort to kind of read through the lyrics as you've written them in the lyric book?
2: Uh, Honestly, it's up to them whether they choose to read the lyrics or not. Um, I have friends of mine who um, they're like, oh, I love your, your work. Have you read any of my songs? No, not, never one, you know, and I've known them for like 20 <laughs> years. So I don't fault people for not reading lyrics or caring about the lyrics. Some people just don't really care. Some people say you're screaming them anyway. I can't even really understand what you're saying, but the people who do read them um, they'll want to you know chat with me about it or even just ask me a question or like, why did you pick that? Or can you tell me a little bit more about that? I think it's cool. Um, so I value those conversations because generally, you know, since I have so much to talk about it and they're interested that it kind of lends itself to a, you know, a cool conversation to have.
1: Uh, What does this do to question though what we understand metal as an art form? Like, because we talk about it as music, right? And and music, music is a audible art form, you know, which enters (laughs) the ear. Uh, But you've added something to your art, which is not audible. Uh so what what happens? How does that does that change the purpose of the lyrics as part of or the function of the lyrics as part of what you do with Fort Hogan If there is something that is literally lost, if uh, you know, if someone has a perfect ear and, and picks up all your lyrics and writes them down word for word, they still haven't written down your lyrics, right? So what does that does that complicate? This is I'm kind of dropping a lot of responsibility on you here, but <laughs> no, no, uh, does that's that complicate fine. Uh, our definition of what music is?
2: Yeah, that is a lot. Um, I guess if, if we're, <laughs> if I'm trying to piece together a response to that real quick, I'm just saying words to buy me some time to think. Um, I guess it's it's really just, if you think about music as art, right? Mm-hmm. It's a grander picture, right? There's there's the frame, there's the placement on the wall, there's the actual picture, there's the negative space, there's, there's the used mm-hmm. space, there's the shadows, there's the lighting, there's, there's where you're sitting, and there's the overall curated stuff in the same room, right? Um, all of that stuff is an album. It's the the jacket of, or the sleeve, it's the background, it's the lyrics, it's a lyric book, it's the color of the album, it's the color of the LP. Every single aspect that you can absorb with your senses, with your ears, with your eyes, um, tactile, um, It's that's all part of the art. And that's what's really cool is that when you get, here is the final art, there's a lot more to it. And sometimes it's kind of like the whole, uh blind men elephant analogy, right? Where it's just like I'm touching a snake and it's like I'm touching a tree. You know, it's like everyone's looking at one different thing. But if you were looking at the entire thing, it's a big elephant and that's a that's a really cool looking elephant. So I guess that's kind of where I'm going with it is that, you know, metal and just music in general, it's there's more to it than just the auditory component of it. There's also the music videos if there are any. There's also every aspect of it is is part of the entire package. Well, for Off the
0: Dome, that was a really good response. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Smashed it.
1: Legit. Cool. Well, Um, to
0: completely change tack, let's talk about what's missing um, from your albums, which um, is swearing. Uh, So we didn't see any swearing except um, shit on the new album, uh, and that's in the Nagelfar cover. Um, So (laughs) why did you avoid swearing so far? And um, was it odd to have it appear for the first time in this way, even in the context of a cover? Um, Like, did you realise that this would break with the trend that you'd established?
2: um it, it goes back to the whole um uh anachronistic you know use of language um I, I just generally don't like to include it um that said though um um different bands that i've been in have done a lot of covers uh, like the nagafar far cover included um and uh i do enjoy you know if you're yelling out to a crowd and you're like you know you're singing out like strip raped and strangled. Oh, that's ca- cannibal corpse reference number two. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so there's a lot of, you know, swear words that we do say in some of the songs. I, uh, that's not something I feel like um, I need to put in there. Um, so it's just something that I, I haven't really um, not to say that uh, I kind of have an aversion to it. It's just that from a, the context of writing out a story and the delivery of it, it also kind of limits you in terms of the different sounds, because, you know, like shit and fuck and whatever um, It limits you um, phonetically in terms of what can proceed afterwards. And so it's going back to why do I want to create a box for myself um, if I'm already going to try to go in all utmost number of directions? Why do I want to make this harder for myself? Why do I want to restrict myself just because I just really wanted to say a curse word? Mm-hmm. Um, that's generally why I, I steer away from it, because rather... Mm-hmm. I'd rather work myself away from a corner rather than to it.
1: Hmm. So was there any hesitation in doing the cover of the specific song though? We like, Oh dang, we're actually, you know, like this is going to be our first swear word on this project. Maybe we should. Oh no,
2: I, I, I love that song. So uh, (laughs) no, no phones here. Um, I, I just, you know, for, for what I'm trying to do, um, and, and not to say i'm I'm above um putting curse words who knows maybe it finds its way into if I do kind of like a modern retelling of a story then I could potentially uh, insert those in there but just you know for the sake of having it in there on the cover like you know I just I like the song it sounded cool so yeah, it's in there
0: mm. well, you mentioned earlier that like you know if you were to swear like in um you know a song that's written based on like a mythical story um that that would kind of um take away from the listeners like immersement in that story right um but do you think it would also like cheapen the the kind of message you're getting across
2: um i I don't think that i think swear words get or curse words um get kind of an unfair shake Mm. uh in in metal lyrics because i've heard some people say that you know I don't like swearing because it's it's uh you know it's stupid. Or I've heard some people say, like, I'm gonna use all the curse words and all the swear words, because if you don't, you're you're fucking stupid. Um so <laughs> I I think I I hear both sides of the the argument mm. there. And I think it's however you want to sing, however you want to um You know, articulate what your message is. If it happens to be very blunt in terms of like, you know, fuck that person. And, or, you know, if you wanted to, you know, not essentially use curse words and you wanted to just use, uh, I don't like that person, you know, um, as a kind of a substitute, then that's both of them work. But, you know, it depends on specifically what you're trying
1: to say. Mm. So, what kind of thing would you need to say in order for swearing to be like, you know, a okay with the music?
2: I think that for me, um, and this is kind of just how I define use of. um, So if I'm using swear words in regular day uh, conversation, it's because I'm just using it for comedic effect or for, you know, trying to underscore a specific uh, point that I'm trying to make. Um, But um, if I was to use it in a song, as in work it into a story, you probably use words like that when you're panicking or you're under duress. So I would need to craft some sort of a a scene where somebody is feeling very back against the wall and then they're like, oh fuck, I'm going to die. I'm going to fucking die. You know, like Mm -hmm. that sounds very believable and realistic to be put into the story, but it would have to be from a a scene standpoint, like modern enough where that is a believable word to come out of that character's mouth.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, if we can now speak uh, very broadly, <laughs> um, what would you say is the role of lyrics in Four Tokens music specifically and then more generally in metal?
2: Um, really, the, I just want to give somebody uh, if, if you're listening to our music, um, and you happen to like mythology, you don't have to listen to, or you don't have to read our lyrics. I don't think that that's a necessary component. That might be, um, blasphemous for me to say as, as the singer, <laughs> I don't care necessarily if you, if you choose to not re- really read my lyrics, but at least if you listen to our songs and you feel like, Hey, that voice kind of fits with that melody. That's cool with me. But also if you are interested in the subject matter, whether it's, you find, uh, you know, the title, uh, kind of intriguing, um, or maybe you are interested in what I'm talking about specifically and you dig into that, um, or maybe you just want to read the story because you think it's a cool story, then I think that that's what the purpose of, of uh, my lyrics are, which is just it's just to, you know, going back to that metaphor about, you know, completing the art that it is one portion of the art. Mm-hmm. Hopefully what I'm adding completes the picture and doesn't distract from the overall
1: presentation. Hmm. What about the outside of outside of your music within extreme metal? Um, you know, given of course that we're screaming, given that it's often unintelligible, uh, what do you? What is the role of language in the art form that uh, you are? You know, one part of. I, I think it's it. You know, just to
2: kind of uh, copy and paste what I just said there. <laughs> I, I guess it would it be just it's it's there to complete the art, right? Mm-hmm. Um, however, you feel that needs to be completed is up to you. Um, And that's kind of what's actually really interesting, not to open a can of worms on that subject, but it's how does everyone view art as complete, right? Mm -hmm. Is it Mm. by me just making sounds? I may not have lyrics at all. Uh, It could be me writing, you know, war and peace and just screaming it at you for like 55 minutes. Or it could just be, you know, there's, you know, a mix of songs of lyrics and some are instrumentals or, you know, maybe there's just one song and I just say like a word that's art too so Mm -hmm. it's however you view you know what that's supposed to look like in terms of it being a finished piece of art for you and ultimately it's it's for the the listener to think yeah i I, I get it that's cool
1: so this uh interview should drop just after your newest finished piece of art uh comes out ideally (laughs) where can people go to check that out um it's
2: super confusing nowadays because like there's all these different social media platforms so Mm -hmm. i'll just throw over a link that like has a link to all our other links and that should be the
1: the table of contents for for you to track all that stuff down
0: awesome and that'll be in the episode description
1: but do you guys have like uh do you have a a official website or like a band camp that you recommend people going for looking at uh like merch etc
2: Oh, yeah, we, we have a, a band camp and you can get our stuff off of the Prosthetic Redicard's, uh web store or you can get it off of the, uh, the Night Shift uh, merch web store. Uh, there's specifically on the Night Shift merch store. There's a really cool shirt um, that I'm really proud of that we got uh, up there. So, um, yeah, if you're interested in supporting us and maybe you don't want to listen or you don't want to buy our music, but you want to maybe want to buy a shirt, um, <laughs> that's a way you can support us, too. So check that out.
1: And do you have any awesome.
2: uh, any plans for touring or? Uh, we do. Um, we we are trying to um, piece together a uh, a, a full time act. The challenge, though, is that we have uh, Hannes Grossman uh, from he was ex necrophagist, ex obscura um, to do the drumming for our album. So we have to effectively find somebody who is as good or <laughs> as good enough to be a uh, somebody who can perform that to a level where we're we feel like that is a justified stand in for Hannes Grossman or, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe he'll actually join us in the future, um, but no guarantees on that. So we'll, we'll see.
0: Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that'd be sick. Yeah. Is there any kind of final thoughts you'd like to leave us with before we wrap up?
2: Um, it, it would be um, look at more lyrics. Uh, I, I, there's a lot of people that uh, that spend a lot of time, myself included, in uh, varying amounts of time in terms of, you know, writing out lyrics and, and putting together composition, organizing them in terms of, you know, how they fall in an album. And, you know, sometimes people think about, well, how does the melody fall within an album? But there's mm-hmm. also the lyrical content of, why was this message said here? Or why was this message said there? I think that all really uh, does, um, impact the overall takeaway and so if that's something that i could leave with people it's just take a look at that you know we've got eyes and we've got time and if we like metal which we all do uh just take a look and you know maybe there'll be something a little bit more to uh take away
1: from it mm-hmm. awesome do, do you think that like speaking uh, broadly over the last few years metal lyrics have kind of improved on on how much there is to take away
2: i, I think so because i think that there's a little bit more scrutiny now towards Mm. looking at lyrics. And and that's just because um, we are now, um, right. A lot of people listen to music through Spotify and there's the option to throw your lyrics on there. And so there's a lot more ways to look at lyrics. And so now it's almost like if there's an absence of I can't find your lyrics, especially given that metal is becoming more popular now and there are people who want to actually know what you're saying. um, If it's not there for them to find, then they're going, hey, where are the lyrics at? even if that's, they just want to have the
1: ability to look at it, but they don't actually do it. Mm. So like, is that, does that, does that put pressure on you? Conversely, like, do you feel nervous? Not really. Cause uh, I,
2: again, like I, I do this for me, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, if if no one took a look at my lyrics um, then, you know, that would to some degree, you know, disappoint me. But at the end of the day, I kind of just like doing it. Um, so I was going to do this anyway. So, you know, you're, you're stuck with my lyrics, whether you want to read them or not. <laughs>
0: Well, here at Lingo Brutalica, we are very pro reading lyrics. (laughs) We are 100% in support of uh, promotion of reading lyrics. Everyone should definitely try and do that if they can, because they are certainly more accessible these days than they ever were um, Mm. back when first started getting into the genre, as I'm sure is the case for you as well. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you so much for your time. I'm really glad to have you. Um, And yeah, can't wait to hear the full album. Mm. All right. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. Yeah, you too.
0: Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Lingua Rutalica. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you stay tuned for our next episode. Before we leave, we just wanted to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to their elders, past and present.